Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I did receive a tweet mere minutes ago. It's a Pete tweet from Susan who says, I just heard Bart Noonan on your show. West Boulevard Ministries is amazing. They are superstars and care about the people in the West Boulevard corridor. Uh, so if you did not catch the uh, the in, uh, or the call from Bart, I did not know his last name. I assume Susan does. Um, but he was talking about westboulevardministry.org is their website, West Boulevard Ministries, and they help kids get back to grade level. That's their, that's their purpose. And um, yeah, he was great. And uh, I had never heard of this organization, um, but I am now very curious about it because they're doing great work. Um, and I totally understood uh, what he meant about the like volunteers because you can't make volunteers do stuff. I mean, it's right there in the name, volunteer, right? So uh, you don't want people that that fade away because kids are counting on them. So makes sense. So the uh, privilege hiding in plain sight. That's the headline on a piece at National Review a couple of weeks back by Ian Rowe. Uh, let me see if he's, no, I guess he's just a writer for National Review. Um, he talks about the real privilege in America, particularly in education, because you hear the term privilege thrown all around now. It's, you know, this term that the woke has completely corrupted. Um, it's meant to convey unearned advantage, right? Well, there is a privilege because I remember growing up, we would use the term privilege all the time. We would use it like, OK, so if you've, you know, like on like on campus parking privileges, you were you, you know, you had uh, you're not a freshman anymore and you have a car on campus. Now you're allowed to park on campus. So if you were a freshman, you had to go way over to the freshman lot, like two miles away. Uh, so you didn't have the parking privileges. Um, but we always knew my parents taught us that we did have privilege because we had. We had security. Not like, you know, armed security following us around like bodyguards or something, but like we had. Uh, we had food on the table, we had a roof over our head, and um, we were free of any major kinds of, uh, you know, health afflictions. That's privilege. But the biggest privilege of all is two parents. It is. And I don't say that to denigrate anybody. I'm not saying that uh, as a pejorative. But that really is, like, you can tie so much hardship to the lack of two parents in the child's house growing up. An economist, Melissa Kearney, published a piece called The Two-Parent Privilege. Uh, I guess it's a book, actually. And she states, quote, marriage is the most reliable institution for delivering a high level of resources and long-term stability to children. Security. Right? There is simply not currently a robust, widespread alternative to marriage in U.S. society. 
despite the trillions of dollars, right, that we have spent in the, quote, war on poverty since its inception under LBJ, we still have not been able to replicate the advantages that citizens uh, derive from growing up in a married household. In terms of benefits to kids, not all family configurations are the same. And throughout the book, Kearney posits the necessary caveat that nobody should remain in an unhealthy or violent marriage. Okay, we're not saying that. I'm not saying ban divorce. I'm not saying that. That's usually where you go uh, or where people take you in these discussions like, oh, yeah, you just want everybody to stay. What if they're being abused? Well, then obviously you don't stay in the abusive relationship. That's even worse, right? In that case, a single-parent household would be healthier for the kids than one in which they're being beaten, you know, or the mom is being beaten. Sorry, the birthing person is being beaten, right? Okay, so she makes that caveat known throughout the book, but she also makes the case that a married two-parent household is generally, hashtag not all marriages, is a two-parent household is generally superior to alternative arrangements such as cohabitation and single parenthood. Rather than resort to making any kind of a moral or religious argument for marriage, Kearney, who is, by the way, an MIT-trained economist, she's determined to, quote, bring the social science evidence on family structure from the obscurity of academic journals into the public conversation. I have been talking about the conclusions reached by the uh, liberal Brookings Institute or institution. I never remember which one it is. Regardless, these guys are these guys are left of center and they have been. And gosh, 15 years ago. They published their findings and they basically said the same thing. They, they listed like the three ways that you can minimize and virtually eliminate the chances that you will be in poverty or stay in poverty if you were already there. Graduate high school. Number one, graduate high school, right? Number two, have a job. Any job, doesn't matter, just have a job. Graduate high school, have a job, and don't have kids before you get married. And usually tacked onto that is don't get married before you finish high school, right? Like, so the, the order of things has been proven over time to be the most stable structure and the one that provides the most benefit and opportunity for the children. So if you are in the business of trying to uh, articulate these standards, Brookings Institute was, they came out and said this, and they were like, there's not a lot that government can do to replace these steps, these things. And when you have a culture, such as we have in America, that celebrates not those things— is it any wonder that we see generations falling further and further behind? Kearney simply sticks to the facts and makes an overwhelming data-based case that marriage and stable two-parent families matter monumentally to the life prospects of children, far more than the usually invoked suspects of race and gender. More important than race and gender. And according to Kearney, in 2019, 77% of white children, 88% of Asian children lived with married parents. 
the share among Hispanic children is 62%. But only 38% of black children live with married parents. That is a historically low share, and that reflects a downward trend that has been continuing for four decades. With such huge differences in family structure by race, how can one not fairly conclude that family structure disparity is the greatest driving force behind racial disparities in education, but also crime and almost every other area of concern for kids who are going into young adulthood? Kearney lays out the new dividing line in America's quest for upward mobility. Here's what she says, quote, there's been a massive widening of the family gap such that instead of like the achievement gap, this is the family gap such that a two parent family has become yet another advantage in life enjoyed disproportionately by the college educated class. See, because while they may be giving all of the lip service to all of the progressive and leftist ideologies, they don't actually live like that themselves. They're just telling you, you should adopt these alternative lifestyles, these different types of arrangements. You should do this. And there's nothing wrong with, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to do it because I want to you know, position my kid for the best potential. But if you want to do something that's going to harm the prospects for your child, I'm going to celebrate that. That's what it takes to be an educated elite in America. Uh, she goes on to say, quote, the decline in the two-parent family among parents with a, uh, without a four-year college degree is a demographic trend that should concern anybody who cares about the well-being of children and about widespread economic opportunity, inequality, and social mobility in America. Recommendations in her book include improving the economic position of non-college-educated men so that they are more reliable marriage partners and fathers. But she recognizes that policy alone won't solve the problem. She strongly argues for a cultural shift, one that fosters a norm of two-parent homes, in part by simply being open and honest about the benefits that a two-parent family home confers on children. Marriage and family structure become a standard data category through which child outcomes are analyzed. That's another one, one of her recommendations. Like you get all the demographic breakdown whenever you're talking about the kids at reading level or not reading level, whatever. Like you get all the demographic breakdowns based on race and ethnicity, their language and whatnot, but you never have it broken down by two-parent, one-parent, zero-parent households. Maybe we should start collecting that data. What do you think? Let me get to a couple of messages. This is from, well, we were talking in the first hour, and if you didn't catch it, go to thepetecalendarshow.com and get the podcast. It's totally free. Just subscribe, and it comes right to your smartphone or tablet. Um, And so each hour is its own episode. So in the last episode or last hour, um, we're going over the the school performance stats, Oregon not adopting uh, or not unsuspending, I should say, its standards. They still are going to let people graduate without having to meet any kind of minimum standards for reading, writing, and math. Uh, The Hellion says, Pete, they want a dumber electorate in all regards, easier to control. The less a person knows, the smaller, smaller the chance they'll understand things like freedom and independence. It's pretty standard Marxism. 
That's another thing I was thinking about driving to get food for lunch and listening. It may not be long until they want to do away with the grade system. Just eliminate third grade, fourth grade, etc. Dang it! Why would I read that out loud and give them the idea now? Actually, if they if they did eliminate all of the grades and just put everybody together, like one room schoolhouse style, that might actually be more beneficial for the kids. So. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do it. Um, Russ says, I, too, had to take statistics, pass-fail at a different school. We had a professor that would spend three to four, three-fourths of the class working out a problem the wrong way, and then the last few minutes showing the correct solution. It was all so confusing. We had a Marine enlisted student in the class who just lost it one day, started yelling at the professor, got in his face like he was a new recruit, reprimanding him for wasting all of our time. I was pretty sure I was going to become a witness in a murder trial that day. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I will tell you, there was one one math professor I had where the students had said, well, we want to come and get extra help. And so I went after class, whenever we, we set it up one day. So, And there was probably about, I don't know, 15 students. And Winthrop wasn't a big school at the time. I don't know if it's still – I mean, it's bigger now. But – the class size was maybe, you know, 25 students, 30 tops, and like half of the class is there for the extra help. And the professor comes bebopping in. That's the best. That is what, like, he comes bouncing in, and he walks right right down the center aisle, goes all the way to the back of the classroom, sits down, puts his feet up on another desk, and he's like, okay, well, y'all, you know, y'all teach yourselves. Like, What? Like, what are you talking about? And he had this, like, like I'm so hip and cool because he was a younger professor. Like, I totally, like, I'm going to turn this whole model on its head, man. Like, what are you doing? We don't understand what we're, what we're even looking at. These are hieroglyphics, man. He eventually had to get up and, and you know, teach because we couldn't figure out what the heck it was that we didn't know. We didn't even know what we didn't know. Uh, let me go to my emails. This is from uh, Dennis. He says, Pete, when I went to college many, many moons ago, you studied four years to get a degree in one of two general fields. One, a BA degree, which stood for Bachelor of Arts. Two, was a BS degree, which stood for Bachelor of Science degree. At this point, it appears our institutions of higher learning should offer a new field of degrees, maybe called the BD, the Bachelor, the bachelor of Dumbassery. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. My only question is, should this be a two-year degree or a four-year degree? Also, just like other two, uh, the other two fields of degrees, one can go for two additional years and get an MA, which stands for more added, uh, and uh, finally then two more years after that to get a PhD, which means piled higher and deeper. Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. 
Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? President Biden's going to be speaking. He's doing a joint press conference <sighs> with the Australian Prime Minister. It's supposed to start at 1.45, so I think it'll probably get underway at about 6 p.m. tonight. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to I don't know if I'm going to jip it join in progress. I don't know. I'm debating because on the one hand, it's a pretty big deal. First press conference since Hamas's attack. But on the other hand, it's, you know, Joe Biden. So, um, yes, I can be bribed into into taking it or not taking it. I leave it in your hands. Let me get to a couple of emails here. This is from Jan. When I was in college, we had to duck the roaming T-Rexes to get back and forth to classes. Oh, no. That's my fault. I had unplugged my laptop. There, there you go. I unplugged my laptop because I was, I was monitoring for the Biden thing. Okay. That being said, Jan says, getting my BS degree, my physics instructor was insane. He spent at least 20 minutes every class throwing chalk across the classroom. He initially did it to describe the motion of a body through an arc. But for the next 10 weeks, it just got a little creepy. During my arts appreciation class, we would eat popcorn, drink beer, and watch movies with the professor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had one professor that we knew. He was a uh, former war correspondent uh, for CBS News. His name was Haney Howell. Uh, he, has, uh, he has since passed away. But, um, and I worked with him in a couple different radio stations, actually, after I graduated. But we knew as students in his class... We knew that, yeah, he used to work here for a little bit. He, he worked in uh, WBT Newsroom and then uh, doing some newscasts and stuff. And then he worked at the station down in uh, Rock Hill as well, uh, doing some fill-in work and uh, sports broadcasts and stuff down there. But he, he came out of TV, and, and, but he was a CBS radio news correspondent in Vietnam. And we knew that uh, all we had to do was just ask him a question about – like a real world experience related to whatever the lesson was. And within, you know, two or three minutes, we would be, you know, knee deep in rice patties and he would be going on and on in the whole class. Then would just kind of like, he would just tell these stories for the rest of the class. And we knew this. And so we would try to get him to get off the lesson, which was usually, you know, from a textbook, kind of boring. And so we would just kind of direct him to tell us a story related to whatever this thing was in the book. And, and he was always, he always had a story. He always had a story. Um, let's see, this is from uh, Stan. He says, so you don't have to demonstrate competency in traditional core subjects in order to get a diploma in Oregon high schools. How does that work in medical schools in Oregon? Do they need, uh, do they no longer have to demonstrate competency and understanding of the human body, surgical procedures? enough math so they don't overdo the anesthesia or is that just fair to all or is that just fair to all the at-risk minorities heaven help us if the medical profession ever goes to DEI in hiring decisions for healthcare services uh too late they already are they are already doing it which is i am hoping that the reaction that we have seen from these leftist moonbats over the Hamas attack, I am hoping that people on the left have uh, have an epiphany moment here. This is what I hope. Um, 
that they realize that who they have been allied with are are not who they thought they were, that the pendulum starts swinging back. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. Um, next up here, this is from Dillard. Uh, Mr. Callender, respectfully, uh, when you talk about celebrating criminality in this country, that that is uh, that that is that is right. I guess right. That is right now exactly what the MAGA element of the Republican Party is doing. Surely you can see this as Trump, their leader, faces his legal reckoning. One after another, the defendants that were once his advisors and lawyers are having to plead guilty to avoid prison. Next will be Giuliani, no doubt. They won't be celebrating criminality any longer. Um, I don't know. Okay, so I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. You don't like Trump? Is that fair to say? You don't like Donald Trump or his supporters? I'm th- that's coming through a little bit. Um, yeah, well, the people who support him think he's being railroaded. So... It's, it's not necessarily celebrating the criminality. They're denying that he is a criminal. So it's not quite the same. One is celebrating the criminality and another is denying the criminality. So I'm not sure the analogy holds up there. Um, that being said, uh, this has gone on in politics for a very long time, but not even I don't have to go back very far at all. I mean, you could just go back, well, to Joe Biden. Right. You got a lot of people that are denying just like uh, people who support Trump. They say he didn't do anything criminal. You got people who uh, support Joe Biden and they say he didn't do anything with all the money flowing through all the different LLCs. And yeah, so. Yeah, it's a it's a problem in the society. Absolutely. But I'm talking more about the uh, the celebration of uh, of antisocial behavior, you know, Uh, uh, you know, people who commit violence on others, depredations and such. Um, this is from Tim regarding the Oregon school board and other school boards in general. If only 30% of students are at grade level, then what is the purpose of public schools at all? Number one, babysitting. Number two, indoctrination and Marxism. Number three, free lunches and other free stuff. Number four, jobs for many people who are otherwise unemployable. Well, I mean, it, it, it could be considered a jobs program if you're not actually succeeding in what you are supposed to be doing, what you were hired to do. Uh, regarding school testing, this is from Walter. He says we should probably just move to the academic decathlon format made famous by Billy Madison. That's a good idea. Um, Chris says, Pete, look at the bright side of your struggles with statistics you just admitted to everyone over the air you twice failed to gain a math credit. You just proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that math is not racist. That's right. Congratulations, Common Sense wins this one. That's right. They didn't just give it to me. They didn't just say, okay, yeah, you're white, so you passed. No, they failed me twice. Actually, I dropped out before they could fail me. Take that. Um <laughs> You drop, that's the deal. You drop the class, you know, you drop the class. So, I mean, you do get like, if you have, so you have a certain window, if you drop it before that window closes, then it doesn't even count as an incomplete, you know? So you just, you got to know when to pull the rip cord. That's, that's the key. <laughs> um, this is from Ellen Pete. Uh, 
hang on a second. School teachers and administrators, administration told all of us parents years ago that laptops for all students would help them learn. It would be the magic bullet to learning for all the kids. Even low-income districts like Los Angeles and Durham gave all the students laptops. That was the beginning of the end. The kids did not study on the laptops. They played video games and checked social media. Grades have progressively gotten worse, especially for low-income students. Since laptops were given out and textbooks taken away, the technology only made teaching easier and more efficient for teachers, but didn't help the students. Really not a surprise. That's interesting. I had not considered the, uh, yeah, the use of the laptops and such. Yeah, because they were, like, that was the whole that was the whole premise. Get them the laptops, then you can have all of this information, all these different types of learning modules and such. Yeah. Like what we need to do is to is to make screens boring again. Because when I was coming up, they started introducing some of the computers into the into the schools, and oh my gosh, they were so boring. Nobody wanted to be on them. <laughs> right? And then Oregon Trail came along. And that really is the generational dividing line. You're either in school when Oregon Trail came along and you remember it, or you went to school before Oregon Trail came along and and you don't. You had no experience with it. That, to me, like that's the gen- – I don't even know. Do they still play the Oregon Trail or is that triggering for kids? Oh, my gosh, I died of dysentery. I have to take the rest of the day off. It's probably. And let me go back to the uh, messages here. We've got a message from uh, Russ. As disturbing as the education statistics are, we haven't seen anything compared to what's coming. My wife has a degree in child development and works with three-year-olds at a preschool, for a private preschool. For a few years, they've been seeing developmental issues with kids because of screen time and lack of physical imaginative play. Neck muscles and eyes are developing differently because of screens. They don't have fine motor skills to grip pencils and have no idea what to do if you put them with some blocks and a few other kids. That was before COVID. Now the number of kids in speech therapy is increasing rapidly as well as an inability to interact with anyone other than the parents. Kids with siblings do slightly better, but only child uh, only children, single, are they're struggling more. Um, I had a game, had a game on that called Snake Bite. It wasn't bad. Had very basic football game that was just choice based, not graphical. Was written in basic code. We changed the code to give us tons of yardage on the play results. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in regard to. Uh, the testing stuff, the National Assessment for Educational Progress, NAEP, the NAEP scores, a.k.a. the Nation's Report Card, uh, they report all sorts of educational data, aggregated, disaggregated by race and gender and geography and all the other usual suspect categories. But family structure is not one of them, despite the paramount role that marriage plays in influencing achievement gaps. Including family structure could create opportunities to implement different types of interventions that could improve life outcomes for the next generation. For example, at Vertex Partnership Academies, the virtues-based high school that was launched in the Bronx in 2022, there's a class called Pathways to Power, 
And in it, they teach the data associated with the success sequence. This is research that shows that the vast majority of young adults who graduate from high school, get full-time jobs, and get married before having children reach the middle class by their early 30s. Young people deserve to know this information, especially when they live in environments where most neighboring families have not followed that sequence. The success sequence. Kids need to know it. Two-parent households, black households, uh, they are more likely to be poor than a two-parent white household. But both are far less likely to be poor than is a mother-only household of either race. In other words, if you are a baby about to be born, your best odds are to choose married black parents over unmarried white ones. Which kind of blows up the whole equity thing, you know? In economic terms, a parent's marital status has displaced race and class as a primary driver of child poverty and upward mobility. All right, let's go over here. Let me get Ed on. Hello, Ed. I only have like a minute or so, but uh, what's your comments there? Welcome. No, okay. He's not there. It's very compelling and rich. Thank you, Ed. Um, one of the uh, one of the recent stories on this too. A public activist group conducted a review of the latest round of state standardized testing in Maryland and across the city of Baltimore. Thirteen schools failed to produce a single student who tested as proficient in math. Forty percent of the schools could not produce a single student proficient in math. Jason Rodriguez, deputy director of Baltimore-based nonprofit People Empowered by the Struggle, said, quote, this is educational homicide. I think there was a, in our Leandro school funding case, I think our, yeah, it was, uh, Howard Manning Jr., the old judge in that case, the, uh, like the original judge, I think it was, or maybe the second, but whatever, uh, Republican. And he said what these school districts are doing in North Carolina is academic genocide. They're damning students, these kids, to a lifetime of hindrance, you know, educationally, opportunity-wise, they have less, uh, fewer opportunities. They, uh, they are not going to have the earning potential. They're going to struggle for longer. And they're not doing anything to combat the cultural signals that are coming from Hollywood, that are coming from social media, right? coming from the, quote, elites, coming from these people who are like the tastemakers and trendsetters and such. Do you remember? Maybe not. Bernie won't. He's too young. Do you remember when um, Dan Quayle got in all the trouble? Because he mentioned Murphy Brown. Remember that? There was a TV show called Murphy Brown. And it was scandalous that Murphy Brown decided to have a child out of wedlock. Now, Murphy Brown, played, she was, uh, Candace Bergen was the actor. Uh, actor and um, she, she was a TV news anchor. Like New York City or something. Very, very, very well paid. Right? So you have these very highly paid actors who then convey to the audience that like, this is just as good, just as successful, no no downside whatsoever. Dan Quayle made a comment about it, said that that's not healthy. 
and they raked him over the coals for it. But he was right. But not about the spelling of potato. That one was wrong. (laughs) 